0: Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
1: With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi.
2: It's Boxing with Chris Mannix presented by FanDuel. Football season is underway. Basketball is right around the corner, and there is no better place to get in on that action than FanDuel. The app is safe, secure, and easy to use. FanDuel always has exclusive offers. When you win, You'll get paid fast. FanDuel has a lot of ways to play, like the spread, money line, over-unders, team totals, player props, and so much more. Jump into the action at any time during the game with live betting. Combine multiple bets from the same game in a same-game parlay and try out the same-game parlay plus. So use the promo code BOXING and download the FanDuel app today to make every moment more during this football season. And get ready, NBA season is right around the corner. Boxing with Chris Mannix, part of the Volume Sports Podcast Network. A lot going on in the world of boxing uh this week. And uh one of my favorite guests back on the show, Keith Ideck, senior writer from BoxingScene.com, repping the New York Jets as he always does. <laughs> you can't see this on video. Keith just flexed. What's
3: up, Keith? Oh, it's a big, big game this week. Gonna beat up on your packs a little bit, you know? Come on.
2: Yeah, okay. That, that's how it often works out with Jets Patriots. They'll okay, okay.
3: the hey, Listen, Tom Brady's long <laughs> gone, man. Glory days are over, my friend.
2: All right. There's a lot I want to get into this week. I want to talk about uh, Jaime Munguia's upcoming fight. In air quotes, I'm using that. Uh, I want to talk about the negotiation between Tank Davis and Ryan Garcia. But I want to begin, Keith, with what we saw last weekend Jennebeck, whose name I've decided on this podcast, I will not try to pronounce because I'll just screw it up. The WBO middleweight champion, uh, he defended his title uh, over the weekend. Didn't look great in a decision win uh, performance. Uh, He has been a guy, Keith, that is being touted as the boogeyman. We've had Buddy McGirt say he could beat every middleweight in boxing right now. He has shown real power throughout the early stages of his career. But when you watched that fight this past weekend, did we see any part of Jannebeck get exposed? Did we learn anything new about Jannebeck?
3: Look, I, I don't think he's a uh, one-punch knockout puncher. He has shown some power, and, and he did knock out uh, the opponent that Jaime Munguia is going to fight on Saturday in the second round, like face first. It was a you know picture-perfect knockout two years ago. But I think he's more of an accumulation puncher. I don't think he's, he's a one-punch knockout artist per se. Uh, I was surprised. and I think a lot of people, virtually everyone who watched it was surprised that Denzel Bentley was still standing in the fifth round. I think maybe to some degree, Denzel Bentley might've been a little bit surprised that he was still standing <laughs> in the fifth round. And that's when he gained the confidence to start letting his hands go, realizing that he could take Janabek's power. And then it turned into a real fight. You know, I thought over the last eight rounds of the fight, you could certainly argue that Denzel Bentley won half of those rounds maybe 5 of those rounds but he gave away the first four rounds so i thought that Janabek and it's chris somehow it's pronounced Allah, ala hanala ala hanala uh, some, yeah, okay i don't i don't really get that the way that it's spelled but what do yeah. i know
2: i I butchered a couple times, and <laughs> once I started talking about him last week, I'm like, I'm just going to go with Janabek. Yeah, they, Top
3: Rank is going with Janabek. That's his name they, on the on the poster. And they changed the way they spell his first name because they thought Zanabek would, would be mispronounced, which it would be. It's
2: like Golovkin's last name. Yeah, remember? Exactly. Remember yeah. all of a sudden – or his first name. Yeah. Gennady all of a sudden had an I in it two yeah, years ago? Yeah,
3: and we, we find that out often. But Dimitri Bivol even has changed the spelling of his name apparently, but uh, – <laughs> Anyway, uh, you know, Jadabek, he's a good fighter, man. And I want to see him tested more than he's been tested so far. That's going to take some cooperation from the right guy, of course. But um, I don't know if exposed is the right word because he he definitively won the fight. But, you know, these pre-fight narratives, Chris, you know, we, we write what Bob Arum says and what whoever, you know, whomever is saying before the fight. And they're laying it on a little thick. I mean, he's the boogeyman. He's this, he's that. People have been reluctant to fight him primarily because he's not well known even among boxing fans. I mean, boxing fans are aware of who he is, of course. He's the WBO middleweight champion, but he's not a high profile fighter. So the way some guys might look at it, including Jaime Munguia, well what is the upside of fighting him? I'm not going to make an enormous amount of money. Now, of course, now you can get your hands on one of the middleweight titles, which is valuable and gives you some leverage, but he's not the highest profile guy. So if you're going if you're a middleweight with options, you know, you might want to fight Jamal Charlo if he ever fights again. Uh, you hmm. might want to fight Gennady Golovkin. Gale- you know, of course, Gennady Golovkin's a big star. You would want to fight him. So I get it from that perspective. Someone's going to have to fight him eventually, or he's going to be in a position where he continues fighting. Uh, you know, British fighters who are willing to take the fight. And kudos to Denzel Bentley and poor Dan- hmm. and poor Danny Dignam, who was destroyed in the second round of their fight. But give the guy credit, at least. You know, 10 other guys turned it down, and he said, yeah, I'll go fight him. He was in over his mm-hmm. head, and he got knocked out in the second round, but he took the fight. So you have to give those guys credit, particularly Bentley, because I think he really changed the course of his career by fighting the way that he did. He's going to get another payday, particularly domestically. He's going to get another payday off of this, and he should.
2: Mm-hmm. I, I, look, I think Denzel Bentley can win some fights at middleweight. He, he shocked me. I thought he'd be down and out, third, fourth round. That would be the end of it, but he um, hung in there, and as you said, he did win some of those – later rounds of the fight. Uh, If I'm Janabek, I got to get to work on my conditioning, because I thought he wore down in the second half of that fight. I mean, you've got to accept that when you get to higher levels, you're not going to knock these guys out. I mean, you're going to have to go 10, 11, 12 rounds in a lot of these big-time fights, and I think he's still incredibly talented, and fighting a hard-hitting southpaw is... Nobody wants to do that. Like, that's... Nobody wants is going to volunteer to fight that guy. Um, But... I think he does is going to have to work on his conditioning as his career uh moves forward. You mentioned Golovkin and there are some parallels there because Golovkin couldn't get anybody to fight him for a number of years. Um do we know what he's going to do like at this point? Like he's got a couple of mandatories that are are in the process or have been ordered and they're not very lucrative fights, Keith. Like Golovkin's kind of in a position where he's either going to have to vacate one of his two major titles or take a fight for probably considerably less money, right? I mean, unless you can get, like, the Middle East or a foreign country involved, I don't know where the kind of revenue he's been used to getting is going to come from here.
3: Well, that's the interesting thing with Golovkin, Chris, because he was seemingly very happy to announce that he was separating from DAZN after his third fight with Canelo Alvarez. And what I was thinking when he was saying that, I understand it from a personal perspective. He feels wronged by them in some way. Look, we should all be wronged and paid that kind of money, I guess. But, um, you know, he feels that he's been wronged by Dizone. So he wants to go out and test the market and try to fight.
2: Don't you hate it when guys feel wrong when they're paid millions?
3: Don't you well, hate it? Well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, we should all be wronged in that way, right? I mean, Jesus. I want to be wronged. Sign me up for Wrong me. me! I don't like the getting punched in the face part. But, um, but yeah, sign me up for that. But, but what I would say about Golovkin is I think he's going to – Uh, get a reality check in some sense because he's going to go out onto the open market with maybe a false sense of what his value actually is based on what he's been paid and you know which fights are available for him people are not going to be tripping over themselves to overpay for Gennady Golovkin mandatory defenses when he's 40 years old coming off a loss he looked you know he was competitive with Canelo he didn't get embarrassed in that fight by any stretch but he lost and uh you know Uh, who's going to pay him and and for which fights, because if he doesn't want to fight, let's just say Jamal Charlo. And again, I know Jamal Charlo's next fight is not going to be against Gennady Golovkin, but let's say that he wants to do business with PBC and get involved in a pay-per-view situation. What would the guarantee be? Because the market has changed. The world has changed in boxing in terms of what's being paid, even to the top-level fighters. We just went through it with Terrence Crawford and Errol Spence, who, you know, Are supposed to come together in one of the biggest fights that can be made in boxing, and Al Heyman had convinced both of them that they should fight without a guarantee. So if Gennady Golovkin thinks that he's going to be paid X for you know for fighting Jamal Charlo or whatever else he presumes to be a tough fight, you know he might be in for a reality check here because he also he might be forced if the Zone is willing to do it, and who knows if they are, he might be forced to go back and do business with the Zone.
2: That's what I was going to say. I mean, it, it, it could turn out to be uh, problematic for him that he kind of went out in a blaze of glory against his own, so eager to be removed from from that situation. Because I, as I survey the landscape, the most compelling and perhaps winnable fight for him is against Jaime Munguia, who we're going to get to in a minute. I mean, that's a pretty marketable fight. You could do it in Texas. You could even do it in Mexico if you really want to do a big fight there. I'm sure Vegas, after denying that fight, what was it, four years ago now, would happily uh, take that back on its calendar. That's a major fight. And, you know, who... I mean, look, if, if the... We're going to get to Munguia again, but the zone might be so eager to not do crappy Jaime Munguia fights that they will get back into business with Gennady Golovkin. But if you're going to... If you're looking at a way, the way to make the most money and to keep winning or get back to your winning ways, it's probably... A Jaime Munguia fight, isn't it?
3: You would think, and and boy, wouldn't that be a, a delicious irony? If, so
2: ironic, if, yeah. <laughs> know,
3: five years later, that winds up being the big fight for Golovkin. You know, Bob Bennett is no longer with the uh, Nevada State Athletic Commission. Bob's retired, so I, I think they would get approval on that fight at this point. But we need
2: uh, Keith. We need an oral history on why that fight was not approved. We'll get like Bob Bennett, Tom Loeffler, um everybody, HBO <laughs> executives, everybody <laughs> was involved doing oral history on the failure of. Yeah. Uh, Mungia Golovkin won.
3: I, I, you know, I know Bob's take on it because I've spoken to him about it even several times after the fact, and uh, I'm sure you'll get a lot of cursing and stuff. But uh, you know, look,
2: he probably saved though. He probably, I mean, back then Mungia doesn't beat Golovkin. Like, it's no. probably more competitive than Bob Bennett was believing. But Mungia doesn't beat that version of Golovkin in 2018. He probably, like, Bob Bennett did Mungia a favor, I think, because it allowed Mungia to, you know, move on, fight Saddam Ali for that title, uh, and then go on the string of weird. You
3: know, you know, that, Chris, weird fights Chris, that cares. that's I—that's th- the strange thing about Mungu. I don't know if you're ready to go in that direction, but that's what's mm. perplexing about him and that he was willing to fight Gennady Golovkin five years ago on very short notice, uh, seemingly unprepared from a competition standpoint for that fight in that point in his mm. career. And now he's fighting. I'm like, what is happening? Like, who's like, where is the quality control based on who he's what is going on?
2: Well, let's do this then. Um, Jaime Munguia is going to return this weekend on DAZN. He's facing Gonzalo Gaston Correa, who I had no idea who that was um until they made the fight. 21-5 and 5 is his opponent. This I was reading a couple of the clips, and it's being portrayed as a stay-busy fight for Jaime Munguia, which you don't usually begrudge fighters if they want to stay active, but Jaime Munguia has been active, and he has been active in a lot of stay-busy fights. His last fight was against Jimmy Kelly. Before that, Demetrius Ballard. Before that, Gabe Rosado. Before that, Camille Zarameta. Before that, Turiano Johnson. Gary O'Sullivan. Patrick Alote. Dennis Hogan. I mean, like, as a middleweight, he has not fought anyone at this point above basically a C-level. And and Gabe Rosado was probably the best opponent. But Gabe, even though he earned that opportunity with that knockout of Bectimir Melikuziev. Gabe was on, is on the was on the back end of his career when he faced uh, Mungia. Then, like everything, Keith is a stay busy fight for him, and I, and I don't understand it. He has had many opportunities to face high level opponents. He has been ordered, I think, by every sanctioning body to fight for a middleweight title at this point. I, I don't know what he's waiting for because whenever I speak to Jaime Mungia, and it's evidenced by the Golovkin, he's willing to take the Golovkin fight. Every time I talk to him. He expresses real interest in taking big fights, whether it is against Demetrius Andrade or Gennady Golovkin or or Jamal Charlo, in the top guys that are out there. And yet, you know, every three or four months we get a press release saying Jaime Munguia is fighting someone that we've never heard of, or is going to be a ten to one underdog or more going into that fight. What do you make of this? Like, what is going on with the career of Jaime Munguia, who is now I think 26 at this point, and Reaching the point where you've got to start asking, is he going to be in a serious fight?
3: Well, what I make of it at this point, Chris, just based on the string of, you know, recent opponents, is people say a lot of things, right? And and they, look, he's got to take some of the blame at a certain point. You can blame it on your promoters. He's got a lot of cooks in the kitchen, so to speak. And there are a lot of people involved in his career that may have conflicting interests and have prevented him from taking some of these fights. I'll buy some of that eventually some of it falls on the fighter. But now he's being paid well for what amount to tune up fights. So if you're him, you're going to keep doing this as as long as you're allowed to keep doing this to some extent. But you have to want to test yourself. And as you said, Chris, he's been presented with numerous opportunities. I've seen some of the documentation where they've turned down fights against a, a lot of guys. Like he didn't want to fight. Look, maybe he really did want to fight Jamal Charlo. But for that fight to fall apart for the reason that it fell apart, is baffling to me uh, the, the money was there initially they were going to put it on showtime it was going to it was actually going to which would have been good for fans because you know that's a fight that sometimes might get pushed into the pay-per-view uh realm so you know it, it, he didn't want to fight janabek okay he's no one knows who janabek alam hanala is fine uh he didn't want to fight demetrius andrade he's a southpaw no one wants to fight demetrius okay um does he, does he want to fight Golovkin? Does he want, he doesn't want to fight Charlo. Who do you want to fight? I mean, there's so many. And now from what I, my understanding is is that he maybe doesn't consider himself a middleweight anymore. So if you're not a middleweight and you're ranked high by all these organizations at middleweight, but you really consider yourself a super middleweight yet you're fighting at catch weights, not at the super middleweight. What are you and what in the world are you doing? Because He's not going to fight the super middleweight because, as Canelo has made perfectly clear, he does not want to fight other Mexican fighters for whatever that's worth. So if you're not going to get the fight in the super middleweight division and you don't want to fight any of the actual middleweights that matter, what what is the purpose of, of – now, look, he's being paid well. So there's some culpability mm-hmm. maybe on the other side of it from – pay. He does. You've told me this in the in the past, and you have much more insight into this than I do about what the streaming numbers are on his own. People tune in for Jaime Munguia's fights. The one thing you know, one thing you'd have to say, he's an entertaining fighter.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
3: but how long can that last? When before people just say, "Okay, look, dude," I mean, he, he's Chris. I, I, I saw the Janovac fight against Korea t- t- two years ago. He literally knocked him. He wasn't quite unconscious, but he knocked him face first to the canvas in the second round of the fight. Why that would be a guy, Hami Mungi is fighting two years later when he refuses to fight Janabek is, is uh, that's insane.
2: I don't get it either. Um, you know, in this, the first quarter or first half of 2023, that's it. Like, you've got options on the table. You mentioned the weight, too. I don't, I, I don't even know if he can make middleweight anymore. I believe this upcoming fight is going to be at a catch weight as well, somewhere above 160. Um, and he's talked about going back down to middleweight for one more fight, a world title fight before campaigning at 168. Like my nightmare, Keith, is he wakes up, you know, early next year and goes, I'm a super middleweight, and then starts taking tune-up fights at super middleweight <laughs> after taking tune-up yeah. fights at middleweight the entire time. It just doesn't make it, it doesn't make any sense. The fight, as we just alluded to, to make is Gennady Golovkin. That is the massive fight for Jaime Munguia. It's marketable. I think it's kind of a 50-50 fight right now. Maybe it probably favors Munguia at this point, given what we saw from Golovkin in the last fight. Because Munguia has improved a lot over the last few years. He's a much better offensive fighter than he was early on, and he was always pretty good offensively. His chin, a lot of his opponents have told me, is really good. I think that's that'll hold up against some bigger punchers. Um you know, This is his time. This is his opportunity. I mean, you see Canelo out there, and people nitpick who Canelo fights, but Canelo's always like, I want to fight the very best. I'm going after all the title holders. I want to I want to rematch with Dimitri Bivol next year. Meanwhile, you got Munguil, who doesn't seem to be chasing anything, just sort of chasing a paycheck, which is fine, I guess, if you want to just get paid and keep your unblemished record intact. But it's just getting old at this yeah. point. Everybody knows it. I mean, I think Golden Boy knows it at this point. I'm sure that you know the TV networks know it at this point. It's just... It's, and sometimes enough is enough. <laughs> it's just time to say, like, yeah. you're going to fight somebody big
3: or, you know, go somewhere else. And the other thing that's frustrating about it, Chris, is, as you mentioned, he's a good fighter. I mean, particularly from an offensive standpoint, he, he's very good. He's entertaining to watch. And he's got a, what seems to be a granite chin. that look, that'll crack at some point against the wrong mm-hmm. guy. But he's, he's, a, he's a talented guy uh, who's a fan-friendly fighter who seemingly should have confidence, which is what makes it so frustrating that he's fighting the kinds of guys that he's been fighting.
2: Yeah. It's crazy. Um, You know, he's, I I don't even know what the odds are for this upcoming fight. They're probably massive um, against Coria, but next year's big. I hope he and Golovkin get on the same, even if it's for like one version of Golovkin's title, if he has to drop the other one, because he takes the fight, that is a huge, huge fight and a marketable one and a great one. I hope we get to see that um, next year. Um, Finally, Let's talk a little bit about where we are with Tank Davis and Ryan Garcia. I've been reporting a lot on this over the last couple of weeks, and my understanding is, from a contract standpoint and now television logistics standpoint, they're basically there. They're right there with this fight. Um, they, They agreed on the financial terms a while ago. That was something that was... Remarkably, one of the first things they were able to do. I think Ryan Garcia's side was pretty amenable to being the B side in virtually every possible way. And I think that helped grease the wheels a little bit to get this deal done. Uh, the television side took a lot more time. But from what I understand, it is going to be some version of a co pay per view between Showtime and Dazone, which is what it always should have been, Keith. I, I made this, I was talking to somebody, and I kind of made this analogy for, because I think fighters should love the idea of co-pay-per-views because they get all the assets that both companies have pushing people to buy that fight and presumably pushing their purses up or the total pay-per-view buys up as well it's like someone from the lakers being like no being offered like to be put on TNT and ESPN and them saying no like yeah. you, if you're the athlete you say yes you want them on ball i get why promoters don't want to do co-promotions i get why networks don't want to do co-pay-per-views but if you're a fighter you want this you want as much exposure digitally and linear as you can possibly get. So I think they're there on a list. I think the big question now as we record this on Thursday morning is what will the date be? Uh, They initially had been targeting a date in January. That could wind up being pushed into the early part of the spring. But I can say this pretty confidently, that when it comes to all the major deal points, including how it's going to be broadcast – this deal is basically done. So I'll ask you this, kids. This is my reporting I'm kind of putting out there. In the aftermath of Crawford Spence failing spectacularly and devolving into a weird Instagram, whatever Terrence Crawford did that a Twitter fight where they talk about hedge funds and all this other crap, um, does it surprise you that we are at like, the proverbial one-yard line with Ryan Garcia, Tank Davis?
3: Um Yes, because we've become accustomed to these things uh, imploding. But I would say in the aftermath, in the wake of the Terrence Crawford, Errol Spence thing, they needed to make this happen. The powers that be needed to make this happen more now, maybe more so now than any time in recent history, because you cannot continue alienating the people who support this sport, in effect spitting in their face every time a big fight comes around and coming around with you know a multitude of reasons why the from a business perspective why the fight doesn't happen because fans don't care about that they for the love of god just give us some of the fights that we want you can you know the Spence Crawford thing you know that's going to linger for a long time in terms of leaving a bad taste in the mouths of people who who financially support this sport and with the fan base ever dwindling you can't continue to turn off those people and force them to, you know, basically force them to spend their dollars and their time uh, on other sports or other forms of entertainment. So they really needed this fight to come together. It does seem like we're on the path here, Chris, uh, towards some sort of announcement of the fight Uh, that both fight, particularly when both fighters have been very vocal publicly about stating, we want the fight. I don't care about the zone. I don't care about showtime. I don't care about Al Hayn. You know, nobody said that, but uh, right, <laughs> I don't think that's allowed. Um <laughs> But the point is they've been very vocal about wanting the fight. And when two fighters express that type of willingness publicly to, to do a fight and then it doesn't happen, you know, the, the fans are gonna be bitter. And, you know, and the and the boxing fan base is already quite bitter, as we know on Twitter. You know, on the forums, on our website. I mean, you know, these are these are cynical people, and 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 rightfully so to some degree. Uh, but it looks like we're finally getting one of the fights that we really want to see. And honestly, commercially, might what might be the biggest fight outside of the heavyweight division. We've discussed this on the podcast before that we think that Tank Ryan Garcia, because of their crossover appeal and their different audiences and everything, might do uh, more pay per view buys than Spence Crawford. It's certainly not a more meaningful fight but it might be a bigger fight commercially and look if we get it let's just be thankful and maybe hope maybe it's a sign in 2023 that we'll start to get the fights uh that we that we want uh fingers crossed but of course chris you and i too uh me even older than you two cynical people who have been covering this sport for a very (laughs) long time are very much used to uh you know lucy pulling away the football so
2: it it sets up what could be a pretty good first quarter if we get Plant Benavidez finalized at some point if Deontay Wilder faces Andy Ruiz if overseas we get the unification fight between Alexander Usyk and Tyson Fury you're right I don't want to have the football pulled away but I mean if we get one per month like that with some other stuff sprinkled in on the main networks like I don't think boxing fans would balk At paying a pay-per-view price for Ryan Garcia against Tank Davis, I think that's a good fight. Um, I I, I, I just that's a great fight, and I agree with you. And we've talked about this. You're right that it's as marketable a fight as you can make outside of the heavyweight division, and maybe in the U.S. It's it is bigger in the U.S. than you know Usyk versus Fury. That's massive in the U.K. and overseas, but I think in the U.S., Tank Ryan is a bigger fight. It brings in two different fan bases. I I hope they get it done. I hope they cross that finish line. for this fight because i mean that's a that's a i don't even know who I'd favor that's a don't blink type of fight because i think the first guy yeah. that lands their best punch whether it's gervantes you know left hand uppercut whatever he does or ryan garcia with that incredibly fast left hook um that person's going to win and who knows maybe we get a great trilogy out or something maybe this is so good because look at the past i mean when when networks get together when promoters get together in recent years We've gotten great stuff. Like we got Mayweather Pacquiao back in 2015. More recently, we've got Fury and and Wilder fighting two incredible fights. Uh, it just it works. It just need egos need to get checked. And I think they were in this. And I give credit to to everybody. Al Heyman, Mayweather Promotions, the two networks, Golden Boy, uh, you know, Lupe Valencia, the manager for Ryan Garcia. Like they were all intimately involved in this, and it, it seems like we're close to getting it done. So I hope that uh Hope we get that, and maybe by tomorrow when people listen to this podcast on Friday, it'll be killed, and we'll have to do this podcast all over again next week.
3: We'll, we'll go back to
2: being curmudgeonly yeah,
3: next week, yeah, Keith. Exactly. <laughs> old old media, as they now call us on uh, oh, Twitter, right? So sad, so sad. Keith, always good
2: to talk to you, man. Keep up the great work, and we'll do it again soon. Chris, I appreciate it, man. Thanks. And when we come back, my conversation with Bob Arum. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Now, I'm supposed to talk here about The NBA season is underway. It's the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Because right now, new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. Plus, FanDuel is the only sportsbook that's giving all customers three months of NBA League Pass when they make a $5 bet on the NBA. That is a great deal if you're a League Pass junkie like I am. You can, talk, you can bet on all the national games, all the local games, You can bet money lines, player props, futures, same game parlay, you name it, you can do it over at FanDuel. FanDuel has all your favorite bets from the money line to point spreads to player props. You can even combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same game parlay. Plus, with live betting, you'll get updated odds on games that have already started. The FanDuel Sportsbook app is safe, secure, and super easy to use. So download FanDuel today and use promo code BOXING. To get your no sweat first bet of up to $1,000. Promo code BOXING. Make every moment more this season with FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NBA. So, Bob Aram will turn 91 years old in just uh, a few days from now. And he's uh, joining me here in Las Vegas where he was at another press conference, another boxing event, getting ready for another fight this weekend. Does it still, do you still get excited about doing events, Bob, even some of the smaller ones?
4: Yeah, of course. (laughs) I mean, I really enjoy it because I uh, consume the sport like I wish fans, all fans did, come from the beginning and watch the early fights and see these young men and now women develop into real Uh, experienced pros. Mm. I mean, I can't understand people who go to a fight and just come for the semi-main and the main when they could see so much action for the same price uh, if they come early. Mm. Do you still do kind of mental
2: note-taking when you're watching a preliminary fight, the second or third fight on the card on one of the young guys that you're seeing? Are you still kind of... Taking notes on what you're seeing in, in them,
4: yeah, of course, of mm. course. I mean, sometimes my matchmakers accuse me of not knowing what I'm watching, but <laughs> but I but yeah don't they work for you? What don't they work for you? So they can still accuse me of not knowing what I'm watching. You know, <laughs> but you know they see things that I'm not seeing. But uh, you know, uh, I I enjoy that discovering. You know, talent and seeing how talent develops. Uh, it Just for me, it's it, it's really exciting.
2: When you could think back to when you're in your 30s and you're just getting started in this business, working with Ali, doing the closed circuit stuff, could you have ever imagined you'd be doing this at age 91?
4: Absolutely not. You know, I just did it. For, well, the first part I did for Ali uh, was going to be a one off kind of thing. I was still practicing law, and uh, I thought it would be a kick to, you know, great, great Ali to do a fight. And then we ran into the draft situation, and I got uh, sucked in, and, you know, here I am, uh, 60 something years later, I'm still doing it. But, um, uh, you know, when I first started, I knew so little really about boxing that I only imagined that there was one division, the heavyweight division. That, right. Although, you know, I had heard of Ray Robinson and so forth. But, you know, I had never seen a fight in person until I promoted Ali.
2: When did you decide this is going to be my future, this is my profession?
4: I never decided that. It just happened by happen you know Uh, uh, I did all these fights for Ali and then he couldn't fight anymore uh, and then we did a tournament to replace him and then Ali came back and I started (laughs) promoting him and uh, by that time I had a staff working on the fights and so you get caught up in this and like, even when you want, like, the the Mafia movie, every time you want to get out, they pull <laughs> you back in. Did you ever think, over the years, did you ever think about getting out? Not really, not seriously, mm-hmm. no. But, yeah, I always threatened myself, you know, when things went bad. Screw this, I'm getting out. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I guess, I suppose, never seriously, because <laughs> I never got out. Do you remember any moments like that where you did say to yourself, screw this, I'm getting out? Oh yeah, you know, and you get double crossed <laughs> by people and you know dealing with some of the people that I dealt with over the years, just dealing with Don King <laughs> <laughs> over the years, <laughs> you know yeah you, you 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 ask yourself what the hell am I doing mm. in this kind of business, but you know i uh, uh, it got into it gets into your blood. Mm. And, you know, I would say that certainly since the beginning of the 80s, maybe maybe the, the 70s, uh, I never really thought seriously about getting out.
2: You mentioned Don King. Top Rank remains one of the most successful, prominent promotional businesses in all of boxing. Don hasn't been as heavily involved as he used to be. It, to you, what's been the key to maintaining this level of success for so long?
4: Well, bringing in younger people, mm-hmm. you know. You can't do it to be an old guy and think in terms of what was and what was very successful. Uh, and time marches on and technology marches on. You've got to have young people with new ideas who understand uh, uh, the public uh, th- that exists now rather than the public that existed years ago. Y- you-, you need younger people. You cannot do, stay in business just on the basis of how successful you were uh, in the beginning mm-hmm. because the world changes so fast. When you think about how the business has
2: changed over the last 60 years? It's kind of a broad question, but I I mean, uh, how much more, is it more challenging now than it used to be? It's obviously different,
4: but is it more difficult now than it used to be? I don't know difficult. For me, it has to be uh, a little bit more difficult because I'm from a different era, Mm -hmm. but it's not more difficult to people who are involved in it now, right? Because... If they're involved in it now, uh, the business, social media, and so forth is something that uh, they take for granted. That's part of what they do. For me, you know, when I see what's happening and how you do social media, for me, it's something that I never would have ever contemplated. (laughs) So it's not the question of it being too difficult. It's having people around you that help you adjust. But do you think fighters have changed and how they approach the game and the sport? Everybody changes, Mm -hmm. every, whether it's baseball players or football players, any athletes, any people in business, everybody is going to operate based on what is current, Mm -hmm. not what was in the past. In the past, we did it one way, now we do it another way. Mm. You know, in the past, we never had contracts except for a fight. There never were long term contracts. There were loyalty and people stayed with you or didn't stay with you, mm. but it wasn't that they were tied to a promotional contract, mm. say. Now, it's all different now. Mm. So. You have to adjust. Well, you
2: do long-term contracts too, of now. course. Yeah. But it's now.
4: Yeah, I didn't do before. Mm. Didn't do them before. Mm. Never had a contract mm. that was more than one or two fights before in the '80s and the '70s. I never had <coughs> Marvin had a long-term contract or Ray or Tommy or Duran. Mm. It was one fight or two fights, and it was just a relationship. Mm. Then we got into an era. Where people started doing long-term contracts. so if you're going to stay in the business and compete, you have to do it as well.
2: He used to drive up to New Hampshire, right, to or to, to meet with Marvin. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> did I mean he's he's been a while now since he's passed, but how much did that, how many memories did that bring back for you?
4: Well, it does every day. I mean, all the time. Uh, I have memorabilia in the office. Memorabilia in my house, uh, <laughs> that remind me, uh, of Marvin and the Petronelli brothers, uh, and the great, uh, uh, you know, experiences we all had together. Mm-hmm. That was, and it was a period of my life where I was much younger, so I could enjoy it even more then than I can as an old guy now.
2: One of the great fights that never happened, of course, the, Sugar Ray Hagler rematch is that on your list of
4: fights you wish you could get done? Where does that rank on the list? No, it doesn't rank at all. <laughs> you know Marvin was never after after when he fought Ray and he thought he won that fight, he walked away. He stayed in the gym. Mm-hmm. He stayed in great shape. So people said he was going to come back, but I knew Marvin once he made up his mind, it was no going back. So I never. Uh, spent any real effort, any effort at all in trying to do the rematch because I know it knew it couldn't happen. Mm-hmm. Ray wanted to do it, but Marvin didn't. <laughs> Ray definitely wanted to do it.
2: He didn't, uh, mm-hmm. Marvin did not. No. Um, w- when you think about the future of top rank, 10
4: years from now, 20 years from now, do you think about it much? No, because I won't be around then <laughs> because as long as you know, I, I, I've, I've lasted this long, and I hope to last a little longer. Mm-hmm. But to, when you talk about 10, 20 years from now, how can I think in those terms? And whatever happens to top rank, it'll be in good hands. Todd is very capable. And the, we have a very, very strong staff. So I'm sure they'll be fine. Mm-hmm. But And if they're not, it's on them. But you
2: don't think – wouldn't – you don't want it to exist for like the next hundred years. I mean, that top rank is you. You built
4: top rank. Yeah, but I'll be dead. <laughs> and if you're dead, you know, you're not aware what's happening. Come on. You never you know, know, Bob. I mean, once maybe, you, once maybe aware. you go, you go. Believe I mean, in the afterlife. I like, yeah, there is no afterlife. <laughs> I, what, what, do you ever talk to
2: Todd about kind of what? he would do with the company you know on his own or no it's
4: up to him whatever he wants to do with it he'll do with <laughs> it right that's on his plate mm-hmm. um th- there's been rumors over the years of you selling
2: top rank to different people you've been approached i'm sure about selling top rank what's it
4: why haven't you why why have you you held on to it for as long as you have well we couldn't get the multiples that we wanted mm-hmm. to sell a piece of top rank mm-hmm. and now Thank God we're doing so well, thanks to Todd and the young staff that we have. We've never been as profitable as we are now. Mm -hmm. And so to buy a piece of top rank is very, very expensive Mm -hmm. now. And there's no real incentive for us to sell any part of it because what are we going to do with the money? Mm -hmm.
2: Do you think at all about your legacy in the sport? I you, you don't care about Top Frank's future necessarily, but do you think about kind of her, how his history will remember you?
4: No. <laughs> no, oh, because I'm not going to be around <laughs> for my history. Who cares? People oh. do, though, Bob. They do care. Well, some people care. A lot of people care. Okay, but I
2: don't. Okay. <laughs> you
4: don't, I don't. You, don't. you don't give a damn. <laughs> not a question of don't give a damn. It's something that I just don't care about. Mm-hmm. You know, do I give a damn? If you said, well, people are going to think really ill of you after <laughs> you're gone, yeah, that would trouble mm-hmm. me. But other than that, why would I even think of legacy and what are they going to put a statue up in front of Madison Square Garden? <laughs> maybe.
2: Like giant stadium maybe? Or well, I, I won't understand. be around then, so <laughs> I can't <laughs> enjoy
0: it. <laughs> Something.
2: Um, do you still get excited? It's kind of brings it back to the very beginning. But you still kind of, even if it's not a fight, get excited to go to work to deal with the minutia of boxing, which can be painstaking at times?
4: Well, no, because I don't deal with the minutia. I mean, I really got great people now. We got bigger staff than we've ever had before. Thank God we can afford it because we're doing so well. And uh, uh, I don't really deal in the minutia. They they. They wheel me out if they want me to do an interview (laughs) and so forth. They consult me about certain fights. But, you know, is it hard work? No, it's not hard work. That's why when people say to me, why don't you retire? I say, retire from what? (laughs) I'm really not working.
2: Uh, Last question for you. In the 80s and the 90s, boxing was was king. It was on the cover of Sports Illustrated all the time. You were doing network TV shows. Now it has become more niche. Do you see a pathway to getting back to where it once was or is this kind of where it is and where it's going to be?
4: No, it's not you can't say where it is and where it's what's the future? The future will be the future. Uh, eventually, I really believe that it will go back to its rightful place. But you got to remember in the in the 70s and the 80s even the 90s you didn't have the plethora of other sports that people were interested mm-hmm. in you know yeah people yeah, at one particular point in time we didn't do fights in the football season on monday night because monday night was such a big right monday night football but again uh it, it, it's, it's completely different. Now, boxing is competing with so many different sports, so many different activities. The access to entertainment is so much greater. So, obviously, it's not the same uh, uh, situation as existed in the 70s and 80s. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, boxing always... Uh, will be interesting to people. Our demographics, contrary to a lot of thinking, are wonderful. In other words, boxing skews much younger now than even UFC. Mm -hmm. Uh, People won't, you know, if you look at the numbers, uh, our uh, audience uh, on ESPN or ESPN+, Plus is much, much lower, I mean, age Mm -hmm. than football, than baseball, uh, and then even UFC. Mm -hmm. So we're a valuable commodity when we realize that because we can bring in the younger people.
2: I guess in the 80s, other sports were around. The NBA was around. The NFL was around. They have grown exponentially over the years. Can you put your finger on the reason boxing hasn't grown with it and hasn't been able to stay competitive with it? Well, I guess
4: there's a lot of reasons. Uh, remember, uh, the way it's organized. Yeah, uh, It always comes back to that, right? Like Yeah, the I mean, the NBA I- is all the owners together have a league and they can promote the league. In boxing, we have a bunch of promoters who generally are at each other's throats. And there is not that degree of cooperation mm. that you're going to get with the NBA or the NFL, where they make sensible network deals, selling off uh, part of the rights to one network, uh, the rest to mm-hmm. a streaming service. It's, it's just different. You can't compare the two. Mm-hmm. Boxing is, uh, because of its very nature, not organized the way team sports are. Yeah, and I think you'd probably agree if it was, it would still
2: it would be as popular as the NBA. I don't think so. You but know,
4: it, I and no. still it's still you're still captivated though by great fights. Like they yeah, still. Yeah, I know that, but but again, again, uh, the basketball. You know, a team can play uh, uh, on a Thursday night mm-hmm. and great game, and you want to see them. And, say hey, Saturday night you can turn on the television and see him again. Mm-hmm. In boxing, by its very nature, uh, you see a great fighter and you're not going to see him again, if you're lucky, for another two months. Mm-hmm. So it's different. Everything is different. Mm-hmm. Now, certainly, if boxing had uh, been able to develop as a uniform monopoly it would be in a lot better shape but again there was an antitrust law mm-hmm. and a trust rule based on uh, how it was abused when it was a monopoly with uh, Madison Square Garden and and Jim Norris so that's not likely ever to, to happen mm-hmm. again uh, the uh, leagues Uh, more or less got passes uh, by adjusting how they paid salaries and so forth. Mm. So they were uh, allowed to operate uh, in a way that boxing was not. Mm. Can we do this again before your 92nd birthday? Well, let's hope. I mean, (laughs) happy. As long as you say 92nd birthday, then I know I'll be around for another year at least. (laughs) (laughs) Appreciate it, Bob. Good talking to you. That's it for this
2: week's episode. My thanks to Keith Ideck and Bob Arum for joining the show. As always, subscribe, rate, review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you download podcasts. And I'll see you next week.
1: Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card... Right this way. It's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
0: Zero Foxtrot isn't just a brand. It's a way of life. Founded and operated by veterans, Zero Foxtrot's unique apparel and gear echoes the grit of the warrior culture. Zero Foxtrot dedicates itself to producing content, honoring the sacrifices of forgotten heroes of the past, and connecting history to the present. Embark on a journey with Zero Foxtrot today at ZeroFoxtrot.com. It's not merely our products. It's about the ethos that we embody. Rugged, resilient, and timeless. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood
1: forest would be cool. Ski slopes!
0: Wait! Did we just invent California?
1: Discover why California is the ultimate playground at VisitCalifornia.com.